Welcome back, everybody, to Rules of the Arena podcast. Sorry it's been so long. I know it's been about a year since the last episode. And just to be transparent with you, I have been completely bogged down with my day job and I've had other obligations I've been trying to take care of. I got to the point last year where this stopped being a passion and something that I really enjoyed doing and it started to become a job. I knew at that point that I needed to take a back, you know, just take a step back, put this on the back burner for a little bit. But as a, we were nearing the end of 2022, I really began to miss this and having the opportunity to speak with people and hear their stories. So finally, I did carve out some time and dust off the old microphone. And I'm happy to say I finally do have a new episode for you. And I am working on being a little bit more consistent this year. I promise I'm trying to bear with me. But this week, I was able to sit down with Janice Finkelman. Janice, I, I first found on social media uh, several years ago when I was running down this rabbit hole of strongman and powerlifting and, and uh, had an opportunity to work with a great coach and do a little competition, com- competition myself. Um, but she always has these great insights and stories and, and parables, if you will, that she shares on her Instagram. And I wanted to have her on the show for a long time. Finally had a chance to get down and talk to her. Covered a bit about her career and the tra- trajectory that took and what she's been up to since she left the sport. But uh, more importantly, we did have a deep dive into mental health and how the gym and, and lifting in general can have an effect on it, positive and both negative. But with that, I'm going to shut up. I'm going to let her share her story. So I hope you enjoy. Thank you. Well, appreciate it. How about just start off at the at the beginning? Want to introduce yourself a little bit? Okay. My name is Janice Finkelman. Uh, I have been lifting for about 12 years. I was a competitive power lifter up until about 2017, which is the last time I competed. Uh, but I have been training in that style for most of my lifting career up until relatively recently, where I switched to more of a bodybuilding kind of style. Uh, I have two cats and a boyfriend, and I live in Portland, Oregon. Sure. So to rewind it back, you said you got into, you've been lifting for 12 years. When did the uh, the idea of, I want to do powerlifting and why powerlifting in particular? So I was in grad school and I'd already been lifting kind of just self-directed. I never had anybody help me with it. I just went on bodybuilding.com and would look things up and then I would try to do them. So I wasn't very successful and I weighed like 110 pounds. Uh, But I was in grad school and some people in the gym that I was lifting in there, they kind of, they saw me and one of them was like, her deadlift leverages are amazing. Uh, So they kind of recruited me and they were the little powerlifting club. This was the University of Iowa. Uh, they were the little powerlifting club that was getting started there. So they were like, hey, you would be good at this thing. Like, let's let's go. I was like, okay. Actually, at that point in time, I was I knew that I didn't know enough to be doing the compound lifts. Like, I was like, okay, I don't understand the technique enough to do this probably without hurting myself, which was really smart. Like, yeah. I'm, I give myself a lot of credit. I, I was like, I don't know. So until I can find somebody who can <laughs> instruct me well, I'm just going to leave it alone. So yeah, I was like, oh, hell yeah. Like, let's, um, let's, let's do this. So that, that's the foundation. But. Yeah. But I'm, I was in the same boat. I've been, I've had an on and off on again and off again relationship with Jim since high school. So 2003, <laughs> but kind of hit that wall um, myself where I needed something to do or a reason to lift and tried my hand at bodybuilding, but I really liked the taste of food and that didn't pan out, <laughs> but yeah, about 20. So you said you started 2017, correct? 
Um, no, so but, that was the last time I competed. Oh, I'm sorry. When you said last time you competed, so it was probably. 2016, 2017, when I stumbled across your Instagram, because I was, I can't remember how exactly, like I've seen Strongman, you know, on late night cable TV and went headfirst into that, but same boat. Like I didn't know, I didn't just want to go up to an Atlas stone and pick it up for the first time without some guidance. So a lot of watching on the side and then slowly dived into it, started working with a coach, but yeah, same, same idea. I was just scared that I would end up hurting myself more than I already have already. <laughs> it's, that's a, see, you're smart too. We're yeah, both smart. Some days. <laughs> so before, what led you to the gym? I mean, what brought you there in the first place? That, yeah, um, I was super anorexic starting at about age 15, just like classic anorexic. And um, so when I was in college, uh, my boyfriend then, um, I would kind of complain about him to about my injuries I would get from running because I just ran because that's how I burned off calories and I didn't eat. So, you know, I would have issues with like my IT band or whatever. And he was like, why don't you try lifting? It would support your running. Now, the real answer there was like you, you have significant issues with food and your body is underfed. So you're not going to recover from stuff you're doing anyway. But I was like, oh, okay, because whatever, whatever I could do to like maintain my old regimen, I was going to do it, right? So if it meant, if doing something meant that I could keep up like the eating disorder mechanisms, like running, I was like, yep, I will do that. So I started it, like I, I went to the gym with him and I was like, I like doing this, you know, just fun, like physically. And also I think just the whole psychological process of lifting, I really enjoyed doing it. I was tiny, I was like under a hundred pounds. It was, I was, I can't imagine seeing me in there <laughs> trying, you know, lifting. I, I, you know, I probably, you know, honestly, I'd probably feel some level of sympathy, but um, yeah, that's, I just psychologically like locked onto it. Was it, I mean, did you lock onto it right away or is it one of those kind of back and forths for a while? No, I mean, uh, it was one of those things for me and I have, many of these in my life where like if like I start doing it and I become obsessed like I just it I like and sometimes those things are healthy sometimes they aren't so in this case it was quote-unquote healthy uh so yeah I just was obsessed like I, I mean I would like bias towards you know everything in my life kind of bias towards supporting the lifting pretty fast and I know there's some jokes and memes out on the internet, which nothing good comes or any, everything good comes from the internet, of course, but the, uh, beginner lifter. And then it shows, you know, going into the gym to feel healthy and be stronger. And then five years later, caffeine addiction, body dysmorphia, oh, yeah. blah, blah. Oh, there's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, for you and did it feel like you were, I don't know what the right word is for anorexia, uh, overcoming or curing whatever the phrasing would be. Would you, or would you say that's you're trading it for one for the other? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, um, years later, like now, I look back on my entire lifting history and I'm like, oh, Janice, you were not remotely dealing with the emotional stuff that you should have been. And you transferred the things that you couldn't deal with, you know, and the anorexia was a coping mechanism onto the lifting that's what you did like i looked myself directly in the eye and i've been like that is what happened now that said th these things i don't like black and white i am trying in my life right now to get further and further away from absolutes um you know bad and good black and white 
So the way that this worked initially, it, it did get me into a place where I had a much better relationship with food. And I still do like to this day. I mean, honestly, I am so grateful for what my relationship is with my body and food now. Um, and how could, I don't, okay, I don't think that could have happened if I had not lifted. Like, I, I don't think so, because the way that you think about, uh, I mean, it was finally what got me to the point of understanding my body as a machine, kind of literally, it is like a mechanical, um, you know, instrument and more of the biology of it. And it was the thing that initially made me say, I have to eat more in order to do things that I want to do. I like remember thinking this when I was in grad school and I remember being terrified of doing that. Like I was, if you're anorexic, you are, your anxiety around food is what keeps you. Cause people are like, oh, I could never be anorexic. I like food too much. It's like, okay, yeah, I understand that. But if you fear the consequences of food, like significantly that will keep you from eating. Like, so keep in mind people who have like eating disorders, anorexia, they are wired to like, it, I mean, depends on the eating disorder, but it's certainly anorexics are largely wired to associate things that are, you know, uh, with food and weight gain with very bad things. So you're, you know, you don't just tell them to eat and it's like, okay, it's not. And so I remember in grad school having to, you know, I would like, come up with a meal for myself. And I, you know, learned about that on probably bodybuilding.com. <laughs> and, um, and then I would just, I would eat it. And I would like the amount of emotion and like terror that I would have to just psychologically navigate every time I did that for a while, I, I remember it. So like, but exposure is what gets you to evolve. And obviously that's what happened. So like, that's kind of that trajectory a little bit. Did you, did you jump in headlong from there? I mean, going from being afraid of the negative consequences you associate with food to, okay, now I need to get, you know, one gram of protein per pound of body weight or anything, or did you, was it, did you kind of have to ease yourself into that? No, I, and here's the, here's where it gets kind of funky. It's like, well, you know, was the addictive mindset kind of still very happy to have a new, like a new victim. Um, I kind of, I was very, um, meticulous with how I understood how to track food. I don't even think like food, food tracking apps didn't exist back at this point. This is 2012. Um, so I was, you know, I was looking at what I needed to be eating and definitely very meticulous, meticulous, excuse me about it. And I actually got very quickly to the point where I put on a good amount of weight, like from where I was, to, you know, I was like, I need to do this. This is bulking up. This is what this looks like. I'm going to do this. And I put on weight. And I, I'm glad I took pictures of that process because now I can go back and kind of see that trajectory, which is really cool. But uh, my mom, I have a side story about this. My mom uh, told me, you know, as I was getting into this and like I was putting on weight, she was, <clears throat> she was like, don't, you know, don't get too big. And, you know, at that point, I think I weighed in the 120s. I got up pretty high and I ended up coming back down. My body was like, whoa, this is like so much. And I kind of came back down. But my, um, yeah, I, my mom kind of said that. And I, re- I, I remember in the moment on the phone, I was like, if you say something like that to me again, then we will not have a relationship. Like it was automatic. It wasn't even like, oh, my, my, I had went back to where I was like, hey, that wasn't okay. I was like, nobody is going to put me in a position psychologically 
where I backtrack. And so even with my own mother, you know, I set boundaries, which is cool. Once again, give myself some credit. I did a lot of other things wrong between now and back then, but that one I did. So is it, I wonder if it's just a guy thing. Like I went through when I really started to lift and, uh, well, high school, I came in freshman year. I looked like the state puff guy from Ghostbusters. It was bad, like 180 pounds, probably 40 plus percent body fat. It was not a good thing, but dropped down to 150. And by the time I graduated, I was playing, I played rugby too near the end of high school, but I was just coming in about 225. But I still, and I mean, I wish I had a cell phone back then to take the bathroom selfie to show myself, like you went from a marshmallow to being incredibly skinny for my height at that time was probably six, two, six, three to being a hell of a unit on the, for a high schooler kid on a rugby field, but it still felt, and even afterwards, when I started lifting in with a couple of buddies, it still, I would put on tons of muscle, but I still felt too small. And I know there's been some bodybuilders that have talked about that. Kai Green talked about that. You know, he called it bigorexia. I don't know if that's a true medical term, but women that you've come across in the gym, whether it's powerlifting or whatever the case may be. I mean, have you ever had that discussion before? Um, well, I don't know if I've had a discussion kind of in that vein. Exactly. Um, I, I do think it's, it's interesting. There's different kind of paths that women kind of navigate coming into lifting based on where they were before it. Right. And so in my case, it was very small, but, um, and I think there's this very unique narrative that they, they kind of get exposed to and they feel like they might need to follow. Um, and by the way, that is really different now than when I got into it. So you know, it's hard for me to say, especially because these days, you know, wow, I just, sorry, there's a a lot I could say on this. I got all day. (laughs) (laughs) But there is a lot, there's a lot of stuff these days that, and it's weird, even like, okay, you have the bodybuilding world, okay, or the physique focus world, and then you have the strength world. And in this case, I'm going to differentiate them because they're actually bleeding together because of social media, I would argue more and more in terms of cultural understandings, discussions of body ideals, expectations, excuse me. Like that stuff is starting to bleed together more because, you know, I mean, things that are kind of, they look more bodybuilderish, they sell stuff well. And so what is social media now? It's largely a market. Um, with some interaction with your friends. And so that's just all evolved to kind of impact, you know, ideals that women are like, I should aspire to that. Because like now it, it's different now than it was 10 years ago. And I don't, I mean, thankfully for me back then, honestly, I feel like there's way harder of an emphasis, even in the powerlifting world, absolutely, on looking a certain way and like how you look is, you know, important, blah, blah. Because I will tell you that when I got into powerlifting, when I got into lifting, it was never about how I looked. When I was in the gym, 95 pounds, I had no idea what I was doing. I would like pick up weights and I would do sets and I would track, I had a little notebook, I tracked my progress and the, I got a hit, like a, you know, a high, I got a high off of like progress. And that's all I care. I was like, I just want to progress. Like, that's all I want. And so it wasn't like, oh, I look a certain way. I, I, seriously, it just, and then powerlifting attracted me because it was not about how you looked. You know, I knew about bodybuilding, but powerlifting, it was like, 
oh, like it's about numbers. Okay, I, yeah, I can do that. Like bodybuilding, I didn't care. Not really, you know. I have no idea if that just answered that question. <laughs> no, no worries. No, I, I'd agree with that. I, I, I'd say maybe oh, six, five, six, seven years ago, you started to see the the power builder look coming out where you still could get on stage if you wanted to with some prep, but you're still pulling astronomically high amount of weight. And now in the last few years, I mean, you look at the three biggest guys in the strongman world, you know, to, well, some of them, at least, you know, Eddie Hall being the big name, I think everybody knows him doing the drastic weight cut and still strong as all hell. And I know another guy, I don't know how big a following he has, but Terry Holland out of the UK, his wife was a professional bodybuilder. I can't remember which division, but all of a sudden he's like, yeah, I'm going to try to compete. And it's like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I will say, I'm sorry, were you? I, I just no, no, off. go. Go ahead. I will say as somebody who has nothing near their career, you know, trajectory, like I, I'm not impressive in relation to that, but, but as somebody who's spent a lot of time, I mean, that's like a friggin' third of my life, just about, um, you know, training for strength and then getting up into like my thirties. Um, I'm, you know, you build, you, you expose yourself to the stimulus, which is the loads and your body adapts, which develop, you know, it develops muscle and you get to a point where either, I mean, we can talk about this in a little bit, but you, you're like mentally, you're like, I don't care about what I've been doing anymore for, you know, the last 10 years, um, you know, or you're starting to physically break down from doing the same freaking thing. Yeah. For, for <laughs> 10 something years, and we'll get to this because I've, really developed a different philosophy about lifting, et cetera. But, um, but you do, what's cool is you have this material that you built kind of, uh, it's not perfect in terms of like bodybuilding probably, but it, there is a baseline that you're like, Oh, I could just kind of like evolve this into this. Cause you have a material. If you didn't at all, it would suck, but you're already, you're like, ah, oh, you know what? I can do that. So I, why don't I just try it? And I think that's what happens with like, um, Andrew Herbert, or, you know, uh, on uh, he's this big two forty two competitor, or lifter. I may have just butchered. I just always think of Herbie because his handle <laughs> on Instagram is Herbie the Love Bug or whatever. Um, he he just you know he competed in bodybuilding, and I mean he just has been a strength athlete like his whole career. So kind of the same thing there, I think. And then to go back to the doing something for ten years, I've sort of noticed now. I'm I, I'm turning thirty five this summer. And it's like the hinges of falling off from my late teens, early twenties, having that invisible bulletproof vest where I could jump off a roof and not have consequences. Now it's like I sleep on the pillow wrong. And all of a sudden I got to kink my neck for three days. And then to compound that into heavy lifting I've had in, well, during COVID, right before COVID tore my MCL during COVID lockdown tore my patella, I've busted up my rotator cuff twice on my left side, right side, it's gone. <laughs> and, but part of me still wants to go back and lift heavy again, because I enjoy it. I enjoy the high that you get from that, but it's like, damn it. <laughs> I can't do that. anymore. <laughs> yeah. So this is what I'm going to say about this because I've kind of walked some of this walk. Um, I will say that before I switched over to hypertrophy training, I'm currently training with a coach for that. Um, uh, Charlie young. Um, it's awesome. Uh, but before that happened, I had actually, you know, I was trained for powerlifting, like I was deadlifting, squatting, benching. And overall, I was actually quite healthy. Like my joints were pretty healthy. So I didn't like 
switch because I was like, oh man, like I'm just too busted for this. I gotta do something else. I'd actually really tried to work myself to the point where I was like, my joints are feeling pretty good. Um, my knees are an absolutely, like, they're my Achilles heel, which is a weird, <laughs> but, um, they are, they are physically my Achilles heel. Um, but back in 2017, up until that point, they had been fine and they just went like they, I have had multiple issues, like just various tendons in both, like a ton. Now, structurally, if you look at me and you know enough about like physics of all this i would argue that this should be pretty obvious and likely like that's going to be a weak link in you know how i'm put together and then you know my load bearing uh, mechanics so i was actually healthy but i you know i had gone through enough with my joints i mean oh my god i i I have had a lot you know and i I mean i've torn a bicep which isn't really i mean the distal biceps tendon so that is actually like connective tissue um, you know, and then I've done a few other things, but man, like I, I, that has driven me to look at all of this, like, you know, strength training, uh, resistance training and be like, you know, it is, I think it's a fool's errand. Um, I'm going to say the unpopular thing right now. I think it's you know, people are kind of on a fool's errand if they think that like training in a one way is a good idea for like 50 years. I just don't think that it makes a lot of sense um, given a variety of factors and biological factors. Um, I mean, we can talk about wear paths, uh, you know, in terms of doing the same movement, you know, with no variation, like no vector variation ever for years. I mean, like maybe that's going to be okay, but I would argue the likelihood is just at some point, not just because you wore yourself out, but just ultimately focusing so much energy literally on those few movements is leaving you, it is not fortifying your body in many other ways. And excuse me, here's the thing about that. If you look at power with your physiques, as much as we've seen a more, you know, like developed and bodybuilder like physique probably over the last 10 years, still, if you look at most bodybuilder physiques, um, even the highly competitive ones, they are not comparable to what is on the hypertrophy stages. They're not like if you normally there's outliers, don't worry. I'm aware. (laughs) Um, but most of the time, what's going to happen is people are like, I got to do, you know, I'm going to do bodybuilding now. They need to do work. Like they have all kinds of development that is really lacking. And so why is that? Because when they were doing those power lifts, you know, it, that's about efficiency. That's not moving away from point A to point B. And sometimes that means that certain muscles don't need to do much, right? So they're just going to not develop. And personally, I mean, I kind of feel like it's logical to think that maybe if you're doing an activity where the likelihood is that you have not developed various muscle groups very much, that may spell mechanical problems down the line in your lifting career. So personally, I, if I could go back and just slap myself across the face, would love to for so many reasons, but this is one of them. I would just be like, dude, stop powerlifting for two years, three years, and you need to train seriously as a bodybuilder, you know, like, because, and of course I probably wouldn't have been willing to do it, but I wish somebody had said that to me, um, because ultimately what has happened is I am one of those powerlifters who has major holes in their physique that I didn't have to have. But the problem is you only have so much 
energy, you know, to devote to development. Um, you know, if you're training really heavy lifts, good luck going and doing the hypertrophy work that may need to be done to bring up weak points. You just, your joints might not probably won't be able to take it. And I mean, you don't, the time, you know, I just think that this is something where we need to all be stepping back and looking at things much more broadly, uh, physically and in our lives lifting. And I, I kind of found myself, I'd try to do an eight week circuit. So for example, I'll do eight weeks of starting at 15 or 20 reps and just drop down until I'm gassed on that lift. And and then eight weeks later, do maybe like a five by five. And then eight weeks after that, do a three by five or something just to try to change things up and change out what lifts I'm doing in what order. Ultimately though, I, it was always, I was doing, everything was an accessory to, you know, the big five, the squat, the overhead press, um, uh, deadlift where the big you know, squat and deadlift are my two big ones that I still someday come hell or high water. <laughs> I'm going to pull 500 on both mostly out of spite towards some old doctors from when I screwed up my, both my shoulder and my, 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 uh, knee the first time. But yeah, I get, I get what you're saying there. It, it, and it made a huge difference because I remember in high school, you know, every day it was, Hey, let's do more bicep curls because what could go wrong? And, you know, all of a sudden tennis elbow starts to set in and then tendonitis. And it's like, Oh, this is really stupid. <laughs> yes. Um, this, like what I just talked through and, you know, what you just spoke to a bit, it's a major reason that I think, you know, I, it, I think what I just, talk through is really smart in terms of thinking about your long-term lifting career. Okay. Like if you love going to the gym and being able to lift, like if you love that and you want that in your life, I don't know it when you're in your sixties, which is very possible. You, unfortunately, I think you need to divorce yourself from the idea that you're participating in a sport. Like, you know, you are this type of lifter because your body doesn't give a shit. Like your, your body's like, oh, you want to go like win, be on the podium for like that show? Like, okay. You know, it's, it doesn't care. Um, you know, thinking about your body in terms of what's probably going to support it, you know, fill those um, development gaps, uh, give things a break so that you have a shot at being able to train them. Um, you'd be surprised, by the way, how much strength you can retain and not do specific like barbell lifts. Like I haven't been under a bar for squatting in a while. Um, recently, I had it long story. I kind of I did it in training and I was like, oh, holy crap. Like this, this is really comparable. Like the numbers I'm seeing right now are really comparable to like what I was just training. And I haven't done this in months. Like I literally hadn't touched a bar for that in, in forever. Um, you'd be really surprised. So I just, I, you know, this is, I mean, this is a wider topic, but this is why I get kind of frustrated with the population that is so like, you know, laser focused on a particular activity and their identity as being this type of lifter. I'm like, dude, I mean, good, good luck. Like when you're, you know, cause you ultimately, if you really love to lift, you might be depriving yourself of that when you're 60 months again, you know, because you just like insisted on being something you were married to it. You, you know, your entire social world was built around it. Your identity was built around it. it, it that, and it wasn't even necessary, you know, could have still been a lifter, but maybe you just don't need to be participating in like a meet three times a year, every freaking year, which is like normal. That is normal now. And I'm like, dude, that doesn't biologically even make sense. 
for the majority of people, but like, keep going guys. Yeah. I, I, I've only competed once and that was just because my coach told me that I was, <laughs> and that was in just Minnesota, Minnesota strongman competition. And the goal was to keep me again, 2019. That's when knee injury one happened then COVID in 2020 and then knee injury number two in 2021. <clears throat> and now for this last year, I don't remember the in- last time I saw the inside of a gym, unfortunately, because the J- day job has taken up all of my bandwidth. I know the cliche of I don't have time will make that. No, I literally do not have time. <laughs> so I've had to transition going into just cardio and I, I hate cardio. I would yeah. rather cut off my own finger, <laughs> but yeah. no, I, I need to do something. Well, you know, I will say that I've, uh, you know, I'm, I'm 36 and I don't have children. Um, and I therefore have a lot of time to devote to my own selfish pursuits. Uh, and that is mostly, I mean, like lifting for me is a non-negotiable sleep is a non-negotiable. I've worked really hard the last year to get to my where I actually sleep eight hours a night. That was, I literally didn't for, I, I mean, honestly, most of my whole life. Um, so, you know, but that said, I understand that like my position is an enormous luxury and a privilege um, that not everybody has. And, you know, totally honestly, like I'm focusing more on my own career now. And as much as it hasn't really, that focus hasn't really changed my relationship to the lifting. It, I mean, I'm still getting in when I need to, et cetera. Um, it, I imagine having, if I imagine having a family on top of like that focus. I'm like, dude, this is why you see people trickle off. You know, the real, what I love is, you know, coaches use this kind of shaming marketing where it's like, you can do it, man. Like you're just not, you're not trying hard enough. You're not prioritizing it. Everybody has the same 24 hours a day. I don't even, you know, whatever. Um, It's, it's like, you guys, ultimately there really are times and I do not begrudge anybody for feeling this way where it, it, it just isn't reasonable to expect somebody to be a high level athlete with needing to support themselves and their children. And in your thirties, life becomes real. Like, I'm sorry. I totally, honestly, I was an idiot in my twenties, even in my like early, when I was 31, 32, I was, I was like, a, if you knew me back then, you don't know me because it, I, it is stunning to me how, how easy it was, not physically, but I mean, in terms of life demands to be a lifter of a high level back then. And by the way, man, I'm just going to say a bunch of stuff that people are not (laughs) going to like hearing, but you know, a lot of people I know or have known who are very high level competitors, ultimately they are, they're doing things in their lives that are in, they have kind of dismissed and put on the back burner things in their lives that I know they're going to eventually have to do. And it's going to be a problem because they so much put them on the back burner or just deprioritize certain things. It's, I'm like, dude, it's coming. Good luck, man. Like, I can already see you having to face stuff in about five years here that you just like, no, nope, I'm, I'm all about like, you know, breaking this record or like hitting, not even that. Like most people have no chance of ever breaking any kind of record. Okay. Even just like hitting some stupid ranking in the rankings, that's like their obsession. And it's like, man, okay. So I've broken two world records. Okay. And they were all time. They weren't like some federation. So if that's your goal, that's awesome. But like that's all time world records are in the sport are supposed to be like kind of the most decently respected, like accomplishment. I've never done a total record. I came very close within like two pounds, but I didn't quite beat it. Um, I've done that. And 
dude, it doesn't matter at all. I would, I wouldn't, honestly, if I could go back, I wouldn't even, like, I would put my energy in other things. Do you think social media plays a hand into that? Like, because I definitely fell into that point where I was lifting and I was pulling north of 300, north of 400 on deadlifts and squatting damn near 400 huge lifts. And I had the fortune, I lived about two hours north of where I'm at now. I was in the absolute sticks of Wisconsin. And I was a very big fish in a really, like a pothole, not even a pond. And there's two other guys that were bigger than me. And they'd all say like, holy shit, can't believe you just for that. But then I'd go like, yeah, but this guy on Instagram pulled a thousand pounds. Like, you know, I still feel small. Do you think that's like a driving factor behind that? Like, I need to go set this record. I need to hit the standings. Yeah, I do think that. Um, but recently, I've started to think it's something even more than I think social media. So social media reinforces that sense of here, I'm going to achieve something, I'm going to accomplish something. But I actually think that social media reinforces and helps perpetuate this overall sense in our culture that accomplishment is everything. And that self-betterment and achieving things is like, if you're not trying for that, there's one, something wrong with you. Two, you're a degenerate. Like three, it's honest. Like I have kind of started to pay more attention uh, recently to how much pressure is placed on us and how much we kind of perpetuate this sense of like, you have to be something more than you are right now. Right. Like whatever you're right now, dude, that's not going to, don't be satisfied with that. Um, shame, 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 uh, become something more. And, you know, it, on the outside that, you know, that message looks, you're like, yeah, man, that makes sense. We should all be striving to like be better. And as I talked about the beginning, black and whites, you know, that's not wrong. It isn't wrong to strive to be better, quote unquote. But I think that, you know, you take things to extremes and they become poisonous. And I think that our culture has literally profited off of its populace, like thinking that they need to be, like literally you as you are right now is not good enough. Like everybody, anybody who's selling something profits off of you thinking that. Um, I've worked in marketing in some capacity for the last four or five years. And I, it has made me very, uh, it's, it's made it harder to be in our world and just be like, oh, look, like, look at this is how somebody's selling you this. This is the psychological manipulating they're doing to sell you this thing. So, you know, we have a whole little social ecosystem built around bettering ourselves. And the weird thing about that is there's this pushback within that system of mental health and like, let's all, you know, be making sure we're doing things that are mentally healthy. And, you know, what doesn't help your mental health is going around all the time thinking that something about you needs to be fixed. So if your lifts are at X point right now, like, cool, you know what, here's the thing, that's a lot better than you were X number of years ago, or could be if you weren't lifting right now, you can get better. And if you want to go for it. But ultimately, I mean, first of all, how much you lift doesn't mean a single thing about you, other than you were capable of probably semi consistently, at least dedicating yourself to something. Congratulations. Cool. But it doesn't mean anything else. And honestly, the worst people I've met in the world so far, I hate to say this, <laughs> all have been involved in the lifting community. I'm not kidding. So, you know, it doesn't mean anything about you. Uh, if you accomplish something, if you do a really big lift, if you're really strong, 
uh, it, it like honestly, I still am guessing that you have stuff mentally and emotionally you need to work on. It's probably impacting your relationships. I would know because I am one of those people who should have been deeply turning internal internally. Uh, you know, maybe five or six years ago, I'm doing some really major mental work. Uh, my emotional immaturity was just staggering. And I, you know, being, it's just really hard. Like I look back, I'm like, I don't even recognize myself. Like, what was that? Um, but instead, uh, totally honestly, I was getting a lot of hits from lifting, you know, like that mental hit of, look, I have done something like I am, I'm doing good. And, and you know what? People mean that. And that does help your confidence. But do you really love yourself more for being able to lift 250 pounds versus 200 pounds? Like, do you, or are you more confident you're lifting? Like, yeah, I can lift 250. I was only you know, doing 200, you know, eight or nine months ago. Like there's, those are not the same thing. And I, you know, I don't know. I actually feel like I just kind of written off somewhere. <laughs> from my train of thought. And I, I wonder how many people started off with the good intention of just going into better themselves. And it turned into the putting a bandaid over whatever issue brought them there in the first place. Um, I've lifted around a ton of high level lifters. Uh, I've worked for, at Elite FTS. I've worked uh, for Kabuki Strength and been around the major figures associated with those establishments. Uh, I have uh, trained with multiple world record breaking lifters. Um, I have, and, and I've known them very closely. And I have seen just so many people who are just as fallible and, you know, just as flawed as anybody else, you know, people tend to venerate these individuals who have like really significant lifting accomplishments or they're, you know, major public figures, like as if that somehow <laughs> makes somebody any better of a person than anybody else. All, if somebody's a really major public figure, all that means is that they are a good self-marketer or uh, somebody in the background is a good marketer for them because I've known that too, like <laughs> just saying. But, you know, I, I, man, some of the strongest people, and I've had other people say the same thing to me. I've, I've talked to fellow former strong lifters who were like, dude, when I was really, really good in the sport, I was a mental mess. Like it was bad. And I think the lifting was actually kind of supporting it and enabling that. And I've had various people, you know, like talk about that with me. And if you're listening to this right now and you know, you're like, well, whatever, that won't happen to me or I'm not going to think that way. I mean, I'm just, first of all, you will lose your lifting. Like the lifting that you have, as you know it now, you will lose it. Um, nothing is permanent. And that's actually just such an important thing to think about with your lifting at all times. Helps to be grateful for it. But you know, it's not it's not permanent. And it it's wise to just kind of be like, all right, hold on. I really need to take inventory of why I'm doing anything I'm doing right now because momentum, like you talked about, uh, the momentum of starting something and being like, Yeah, my intentions are this, and then you just kind of keep going. And you don't, you don't ever question anything that you're doing. It just kind of evolves from one thing to another. You don't ever ask why. You don't ask why or how something's functioning for you. And then one day you wake up and you're like, whoa, like, did I ever even set any boundaries with myself with this activity? What is my relationship with this activity? Is this toxic? Because 
I, that word is really overused. I probably shouldn't have just used it. Um, <laughs> but it happened. I have seen it happen so many times. I know so many people, totally honestly, where I'm like, you're, man, you know, you can't say anything. Like, they're not going to listen to you, <clears throat> but they're probably going to look back at some point and see it. Where the, when did the internet, when or how did the conversation with yourself start when you started to realize from the mental side of the house, you weren't in a good space and you need to change things around? I mean, what did that look like? Um, you know, honestly, that was probably about two years ago now. Um, I was beating myself like relentlessly mentally and physically to try to get back to a point. I mean, two years ago, I was like the strongest I've ever been. I was also the biggest I've ever been, but I was, I was, it's a relative strength that's important there. But I, you know, but I was like, dude, I think that like my relationship, I started to feel like my relationship to lifting was not healthy. And um, I think that actually partially came from coming out of like interpersonal relationships in my life that weren't healthy. And and having to face how I had been a part of that. It's not just like, oh, it's the other person. They're, you know, you're not a victim. Like you're never, if, you know, if you're in a relationship, unless they're massively abusive, I respect that. Like there are certain situations, but you're in interpersonal relationships that, you know, go to hell. Uh, you had a hand in it somehow, right? Like the other person had a hand in it and so did you. So I had gone through some stuff that really kind of showed me what a toxic relationship looks like. And, you know, I was like, ooh, you know, what's weird is that I'm starting to see stuff in my lifting that looks like those bad relationships and I'm not happy and I don't like where my like physically where this is going I don't think this is sustainable and I don't want this for myself long term so I just kind of started to turn away from it a little bit and which is very scary because your whole life is built around it your entire social world is built around it you barely have a social world outside of it probably especially if you're like a real adult you know, how many other, how much other time do you have for, for social stuff? It's just lifting buddies. And then like I work and, you know, sleep at the end of the day. So I, it, I just kind of started to really pull back and it was hard. Um, I struggled, man, like I struggled really badly with it. I, I mean, we were talking like tears level of wanting, being so attached to progressing my lifts. Like I'm embarrassed to say this now, how attached I was to getting better and like making those lifts stronger. And when you take something away from somebody that define, they believe defines their worth. Oh God. Like it's, <laughs> it's imagine like, like, well, we're, it's a junkie and we're going to take away their stuff now. And like, <laughs> let's go ahead and see how it goes. Like that's, you know, my boyfriend had to just like witness some really ugly crumbling for me. And I totally admit to it. Like I'm happy to admit to it all day. I am like one of the most imperfect people I've ever met. Like I would know because I know myself, right? So, so like, wow, it was bad. So. so then coming back out of that, I mean, were you, did you just have to ease yourself into it or just we're going to drop this style of lifting and we're going to move to this one? Or I mean, again, what's the backside of that look like? Um, actually the backside of it looks like being the happiest with myself I've probably ever been psychologically, like, you know, just emotionally. Um, I, I mean, seriously, I kind of get chills talking about it because I'm still, I mean, I'm still working on this stuff to this day, but you know, 
when I finally acknowledged that I was doing things that were like harming me, essentially, rather than, you know, really like being very good for me on any level. Um, and then I made the choice to stop like that. If that's not an act of self-love, like, I don't really know what is. Okay. Um, you know, I'm always going to have a body until I die. Uh, we haven't figured out how to separate the consciousness from the body yet, I guess. Uh, I'm sure they're working on it, but I'm always going to have it. So I have to do, so, you know, I want to have a good quality of life. So I need to do so. I might compete on bodybuilding, a bodybuilding stage. Like, I don't know, but I was like, you need to freaking stop attaching your self-worth to this crap. Like this is done. Like we are done with this. And I, you know, knowing so many people in the lifting world and, you know, watching just people's trajectories, I think that I'm not the only one who has gone through this process of realizing that like what they're doing is honestly gotten to a point of being more harmful to their psyches. And I'm not even their bodies. Like Jesus, that, you know, I've known some, like I know somebody who um, lost out on a job opportunity because his health is so bad because of what he was doing for lifting that they were like, nope, you don't pass our health, like, you know, our markers. And I'm kind of leaving this bag so I don't identify anybody, but literally will not have a job that he was planning on his entire career being based on because he, um, one of his organs is never going to function well again because he sold himself to, you know, what, like the aspiration of getting better and better and better. Like there is nothing better than freeing yourself from being locked in that. Were you able to lean on people during this whole process? You know, with your boyfriend or even other folks at the gym. I, I mean, like go back to what you said about the junkie <clears throat> more often than not they're using because the group of people they associate with are also doing the same thing. And it makes it that much harder to leave unless you cut ties there. Yeah. So actually that's it. So I'm relatively familiar with like some level of addiction rhetoric. Um, uh, I, I mean, like eating disorders are an addiction. Um, and I've done a fair amount of just, you know, reading about addiction psychology, just because I'm interested in it. And one of the things they will tell you is that if you want to try to change yourself in relation to addiction, get the hell away from people who are engaging in that addiction. So, you know, I hate to say it, but I didn't, that's what I did. I didn't really know how else to get myself to a different spot that I wanted to, because it wasn't, I knew it wasn't good for me. So I had to, so not only did I like end up having to make the choice to like turn away from the community that, you know, I maybe would have some support. I mean, I don't think that's the thing is I just don't, a lot of people didn't understand when I talked about the stuff that I'm talking about now. Um, so not only did I decide to make this choice that was very difficult, but I kind of had to isolate myself from my social world to walk through it. And totally, honestly, outside of a few very close people in my life, I was pretty alone for it. And, you know, I still, like, now I'm good. But, like, it was, it was like a rough transition, especially since at the time, like, I was working at Kabuki, and, oh, my God, like, everybody there is just laser-focused on, like, get it trained like power, competing in power within like every six months so like all right yeah i i know a lot about the stuff that we're you know like we're working with here but i don't the mentality like we're we are not on the same planet was it tough i mean did you just have to rip the band-aid off on that or was it a slow 
take a few steps back each day? It was it was a slower kind of divestment of you know the stuff. And what I want to okay, but I do want to add because people are going to be listening to this and they're going to be, by the way, they're going to be stuck in the aspirational mindset that I think a lot of people who are listening to this are going to be like, I do have to make myself better. Like self-improvement is important. Like you, wow, girl, you're a cop out. Like, you know, you, you're cool with mediocrity. And I'm like, well, one, okay, no, I'm not. Two, I am cool with self-bound, like having boundaries with things. And there's a lot of people in the sport who like, I will do anything that it takes, which is a huge red flag. And I would never, and I've never been, by the way, I've never had that thought process. Like I've never been willing to quote unquote do what it takes. When I broke each of those world records, it wasn't actually that hard for me. Oh God. Like I just said something like it really wasn't. I was like, I just liked training and I was within range. I was like, I think I can do this. So I'm gonna go do it. I don't even care about being better than other people. I just thought I could like hit those weights. So I did. That's it. Like, so here's the thing. Like I want to say that like, it sounds like I'm a cop out and I just am like cool with getting a participation medal and all that crap. That's not actually, I train and I have been training as hard as I ever have my entire career. I hold myself to an insane standard. You can ask anybody that knows me, right? Um, I hold myself still to this day to an insane standard. When I go in and train, I absolutely love it. I love it. And I like try, I mean, I'm just pushing myself all the time. I don't get lazy. I don't not go to the gym. I am like, I love what I'm doing. And I try my hardest at it because I love trying. So, but the thing is the motivation isn't coming from the sense that I have to be better. That if I'm better, I'm finally worth something. And I just, you know, that's how I've been before. And I feel like if people, people are afraid to like let themselves see their value as they are now because they're they have this underlying sense that if they don't get better they're never going to be worth something because they can't even see their worth now right it's this weird vicious cycle like and mentally i've had to work really hard even come close to breaking it i don't even think i've broken it yet but like i'm trying you know because i've every step that i've taken towards discovering that me right now being appreciative of where I'm at right now and seeing it as enough is what can actually enable me to accomplish more shit. Like that's kind of the weird paradox there is that like, if you finally give yourself a freaking break, you will probably actually do better. Um, you know, if you're listening to this podcast or if you're interested in fitness, I don't think you have a problem with motivation. Okay. I think you just probably have stuff about yourself that you need to work on. Like we all do. And Pursuing fitness really hard sometimes gets in the way of that. Do you think the the industry, <clears throat> the industry being social media and the fitness, you know, hashtag fitness, what's a what's a big one? Fitgram, anyway. Oh yeah. Do you th- yeah, I don't know. yeah. It, I mean, do you think it's gonna the pendulum is gonna swing back the other direction to more where you find yourself now, or is it gonna continue being bigger, faster, stronger than the next person on your on the on the feed? I would be absolutely stunned if it was like commonplace to be speaking the way that I'm speaking right now, like in the quote unquote industry, um, because honestly, you have to look at what drives the markets, market markets there. And it's not going to be the kind of rhetoric that I'm saying right now, kind of because of 
you know, reasons I said in the beginning here, you know, it, if you feel like you're enough, you don't want to buy as much stuff. You have enough. Like, so, you know, it, ultimately this has turned into an industry and coaching is part of the industry and coaches profit off of people not thinking that there are not. That's not the only reason that people go, I have a coach. All right. You know why? Because I don't know shit. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. So I have a coach, but you know, and I love learning. Like that's another thing that I've turned on to super hard. Um, excuse me. You know what you need to do? Not, not do during podcasts is drink. Diet coke, <laughs> but, um, you know, I've turned on learning so much in the last year or two as like kind of my superpower. I'm like, dude, I just like, that's, that's what keeps my life going. Okay. Is like also just continuing to like learn new things. So I'm like, yo, I don't like. I'm bored. Of, I got bored of powerlifting. Totally honestly, like I was like deadlifting 400 something. I remember. I literally remember the session where I was like working with four something, doing pretty good with it. I mean, it looked good, like whatever. And I was doing it. I'm like, I don't even enjoy this. Like I'm seriously not. I'm not interested in this. It was. A, it was kind of a scary realization. But anyway, going back to the industry and why that you know the mentality isn't going to shift. It's you know. People get into the industry, kids get in the industry, you know, and their bodies are like super here for it, you know, when they're in their twenties and they're like, they have no idea who they are. They, they don't, right? Like, I don't think we know who we are when our twenties, like our brains are barely online, you know, even by like 25. Um, so like, they don't know who they are and they, what they do is they are attracted. It's like, look, I can kind of, pattern myself off of this stuff, off of the stuff that I'm seeing. And now I feel like I know who I am and I'm like putting it out there and advertising myself using social media. I mean, Oh my God, like that's what you're going to see on social media because they, it's, it's how that whole development thing kind of like functions. It's, it's, they have a lot of incentive to use their stupid Instagram to put themselves out there. You know, they're like, look, I've defined myself. Like here I am like, yay. And they're kind of proving it to themselves and the world. So those of us who might be espousing the kind of, rhetoric that i am dude i think about deleting my instagram like literally every other week <laughs> right now um and not even because um it's like oh this is so bad i've had my phase with that i'm kind of over it it's more just like it, dude i i'm just not really interested i don't need to, i don't feel the need to put myself out there um i don't need the validation it's like whatever i don't care um and i, I just actually just don't go on it as much as i used to and so therefore my mentality is the reason for that. Right. So then I'm not going on Instagram as much. Right. So I feel like logically we can say if other people have this mentality, it may be likely that they're not as interested in going on social media and they're not going to be the ones who are therefore putting the content out in there. So it's just, I, you know, I do think there's a health thing that's going to become more and more. Maybe people are just going to be like, yo guys, what are we doing here? Um, there's a very dark side of it very very dark i don't even think we understand how dark it is um that i think is i think is going to continue people are like wait a second dude like all right something there's a tipping point i just thought you and i've seen probably because it's what comes up on my feed you know so-and-so bodybuilder at the age of insert between 30 and Mm -hmm. mid 40s dying of a heart attack because they were on a half dozen different steroids at least. And then you get more recently, the one that kind of blew up everywhere, liver King and everybody this seeming to be shocked that he's not natural. It's like, no, no shit. You, you didn't, couldn't tell, but it's like, at what point is that damn going to finally break? And the, this illusion people have, if I do, if I 
eat bull testicles in this case. I'm going to get to that size. Like, yeah, you're probably not, but okay. And maybe it's just because I'm 34 now. I'm sure. Well, I know I did when in the early days think that, oh yeah, because this person using this supplement, it must be good. Not thinking, oh, they're being paid six figures to post this for the next year. You know, and that's, man, and, and like, honestly, working in marketing in this industry for the amount of time I had, I despair at this point over honestly that much headway really being made of what we're talking about because of a few things, you know, the, the fact that industry um, and commerce is going to drive things and push people to, you know, like engage in like aspirational activities, which totally honestly get into that territory. Sometimes it's like, well, I'll do what it takes. Look at that. There's that mentality again, you know? So it's like, you're until like, unless you took the commerce and the competition out of it, unless and I, you know, I'm, and everybody hates whenever I'm like, dude, I literally don't care about, I've never been competitive. I don't care about competition. Um, I have compared myself to people endlessly and, and made myself miserable through it. Um, but actually in terms of physical competing, I'm like, I just don't even really care. Right. I've done it, but ultimately it's never been that important to me. Ever. Um, and like in my life, I just don't have a history of it. So like if we take competition and, you know, selling things out of the picture, you know, what does that leave? To be honest, most of us are probably like, I don't know what's left after that. <laughs> because like, that's because who's the loudest? Who's like, whose voice is the loudest? Like how do these systems kind of elevate themselves? It's, it's by, you know, it's those who want to make a profit and want to survive, literally their businesses survive by, you know, talk, like putting their messages out there and making them attractive and making them aspirational. And, you know, that's what's going to quote unquote rule, rule things. Does it really, like, does it really indicate quality? Obviously, like when it's actually misleading, you know, it, no, it doesn't. Um, the stuff that I know about some of the major figures that people love, you know, in the sport, like, or, you know, how even authentic that they themselves are or like their feats of strength are, man, it, if it was out there, um, you know, all that exposure stuff that's like popular to do now, like, oh, this, this Instagram influencer exposed, like some of the people that people hold is like, you know, the idols of their lifting world. It's like, yo, guess what? Like that person, that is not, they are not what you think they are. And they've used what we think they are to build entire like business empires sometimes. And it just, man, knowing that, right? Like I literally, there's just stuff I know. Um, I just, it just gets me to the point where I'm like, you know what? You guys can have it. Like this, if this is, if, if this is what you think is quality, if this is what you think is real. You're, first of all, you're going to suffer a lot mentally. You will, you know, it, there's all kinds of disconnects there that ultimately will probably only contribute to you feeling like shit about yourself. So, you know, what I kind of hope is that people who are talking about things in a different way continue to do so, um, even if it means that they're not necessarily popular or selling things, um, because it does give like a different, you know, it, for those who are seeking a different view on 
fitness or you know, whatever, it gives them somewhere to go. It's not all just gym shark, uh, you know, hey, sir, whatever huh? the, sorry to interrupt. Yes. <laughs> no, it's, I just like, I just saw something about this. I don't know. I saw some, somebody blowing up something about that. So it, yeah, like they technically guess they're around and, uh, you know, I, I mean, whatever federation, everybody's like, you know, like bowing to in power like we know the USPA. Here's the thing. I remember them in the USPA like came out like it was new and it was for the lifters, by the lifters. Like, I'm sorry. I just like <laughs> I saw this crap coming. OK, because I had also seen a bunch of other, you know, federations kind of like fall. Right. Like it's like, oh, the, that, there's another angel fell out of the sky. Like it, it, it's like, dude. They're made up of human beings. They are like businesses, essentially. What do you think is going to happen? Is this a charity? Like, it's not a charity. This is an altruism. It's like a bunch of people that are like making money off this crap. They are. Like, they're just literally making money off this. So like, what do you think is going to happen? But yet you have people who are slavishly devoted to a bigger federation. And it's like, yeah, all right, man, good luck with that. So it's going to happen again. And actually, you know, people just probably need to... um I mean, my attitude towards, I competed in, I don't even know how many different federations. People would ask me like, what federation you compete with? I'm like, I don't, that's a bad idea. Like, don't, <laughs> don't like get married to one of them. And it doesn't, you know, I, so I'm kind of watching this stuff and, you know, the, I'm just always over here like, dude, think for yourself as much as possible. Do not go with the crowd. It's painful to not be with the crowd. I know. Um, I am an out, like, I feel like such an outsider. I'm weird. I'm socially awkward. I'm not fun to hang out with in big groups. I literally, I'm like, I shut down. Like, I don't want to do it. I, I like, I, you know, I'm, fun. I, I'm, I'm used to being like on the outside, but at the same time, it's helped me kind of avoid the like sudden, like, Oh my God, like you mean that that was corrupt. It's like, yeah, man, <laughs> you can't, don't be part of a cult. Because that's the thing. There's a really fine line between following something and being an advocate of something and kind of like slipping into a cult kind of mindset and listen to podcasts about how cults work like I did a few months ago. And I was like, oh, God, oh, God, there's all kinds of correlations within powerlifting and like all crap and elsewhere. Um, and it's just, you know, it's probably not going to end well. Yeah. And I don't, for listeners, I don't mean to be the one sitting on a high horse and going, ha, huh, how did you fall for that? No, I definitely, early days of YouTube, there's some grassroots guys who I thought, oh, this is interesting. They have some, oh, and then it's like, hey, I want that t-shirt solely. And a lot of them, one in particular, I'm not going to say because I don't need my second account banned, uh, definitely started to think, this feels like a fucking cult. I think I'm just going to hit the block button now. And then years later, see some stuff coming up and other people echoing the same thoughts and it cracks me up. But at the same vein, there's some other guys I followed since the early days of their YouTube channels and watch them grow in, in, in a business. And they're not, they're very transparent. Like I make my living off this, which I can respect. And, and yeah, so I, I don't know. Like I said before, maybe it's just because I'm now in my, you know, I'm turning 35 and I can have that 2020 hindsight where, you know, someone just graduating high school, they just got on Instagram and they just got into lifting and they see, oh, look, shiny. But I also remember the days where, you know, the, the best supplement on the market was the one that got your eye first at the store. <laughs> and then the spiking and everything else that came out, I don't know how long ago, but four or five years ago, 
all that you know, um, muscle farm in particular. <laughs> really, I've heard some crazy stuff about supplement industry in general. Um, yeah, I, that's the thing is, you know, I lived at a few different gyms. I always have like a few gym memberships because I'm crazy. Um, but you know, they'll have like this one has this equipment, like this one has this. Yeah, it's I. That tells you I'm a real like. Um, uh, you know, gym hattie, but like it, so the thing is there's a lot of younger kids who will look at some you know these gyms and you know i'll be around them they'll be like literally now the thing is to just take endless selfies in the mirror like they just do it like you, in back in like 2014 <laughs> you would have been ashamed nobody would do that and now it's just like they it's their activity at the gym and i'm not saying that in a mocking way you know because the thing is they're also like half my age i'm so old like yeah, I'm I'm basically decrepit. Like, don't worry. Like, I'm 36. Is so old. Oh my, I'm being so <laughs> right. Um, You know, they're half my age, and and when I was younger, when I was 25, when I was 18, 25, 30, whatever. Oh my, like the there's a huge learning curve. Like they're they're figuring themselves out. Um, you know, I kind of always hope that they're open to like learning things from like these foundational you know ideologies and then moving forward with their lifting or whatever i mean being open to just like okay now is the time for learning you know like learning is good like let's keep trying to do that um so because i've come across a few at the various gyms i go to who are so sweet and have so much like potential just you can kind of see it. I mean, that has nothing to do with their brand, but like you can see it physically. You're like, you have good genetics. Like you have good genetics. <laughs> so you know, like it's so cool. You know, and then you talk to them, and you want, like, it's like, hey, I just want to babysit you all the time to steer you in the right way. And then you'll turn out like this. You can't do that. They're gonna have to try to do that for themselves, and they're gonna screw up so badly, and they're probably gonna hurt people in the process, and they're gonna hurt themselves. And this is how this industry. It is filled with people who are from like all walks of life. And it, you know, and I, if somebody who's in it, it's what is cool is being able to recognize that, like, it's that not everybody is where you're at. You are going to be in a different place in five or 10 years. There's a kind of beauty in that, actually, um, I will say. Um, but, you know, hey, like, maybe try to do as much to learn as you can now. Uh, try to minimize the harm you do to yourself and others. Janice, <laughs> once again, I just, I love going back and beating myself up for all the stuff I did. I, and you need to not do that for a certain point that actually just doesn't help you. But um, yeah, you know, I don't know. It's, it's cool. I'm glad that people have the fitness world and women have it. I mean, when I started, um, there was like one message, I'm not even kidding. Like there was like one message board for women who were into powerlifting. And I remember like talking with, you know, like going back like Gracie V and like Jenny Petrosino, uh, both these women are no longer in the sport. <laughs> but it, it was like so tiny. There was nobody. It, it wasn't there were, like girls who powerlift like that. Account. Do you know what I'm talking about? That, that Instagram account. That was one of the first like women's initiative like oh women can do this too and so they you know they made their instagram account and um it's still going strong today but that wasn't even around when i got into it and so um things have 
really friggin' evolved. And I guess they will continue to. But there's a lot of dark side to that evolution that I really think a lot of it comes out of with the marketplace aspect of it. That, man, people are going to need to continuously police their own, you know, engagement with it, their own mental, like, preoccupation with it. Because if things like technology is accelerating at an insane, insane excuse me, rate, which it is, just look at AI, um, you know, it's hard. We are placed in relation to media and, you know, how emotionally healthy certain types of media can be for us isn't something that we have a blueprint for, you know? So it's like, dude, social media, you know, people who make money off social media love to get mad at people who say, uh, this is kind of bad. They're like, no, it's not. It's great. I connect with people and you can, you know, you can just <laughs> learn so much from it. It's a tool guys. Like it's not bad or good. It's tool. they're not wrong, but it's also like, Oh, are you making money off of this? All right. Well, if you say that, then I'm, you're not, you're not unbiased. Right. I don't make money at this time off social media. I'm open to it, but I just, um, I'm not interested actually. I just don't care. Um, but, you, you know, like, I mean, I might in the future. Who, like, that's the thing. It's like, who knows? You just, you leave your future open. Like, cool. But I just think that we're going to need to continue to be more and more, like, always this functioning? Always ask, like, why are you doing the things that you're doing? Why are you thinking the way that you're thinking in relation to things with social media? Because, like, you're the only one who can police your own relationship with it. And there's no real good guideline for it at this point but it, they're, they're kind of almost needs to be gone it's toxic and i'm sure it's going to come to that eventually like for me personally <clears throat> if i didn't do this show or both shows I wouldn't have no reason for instagram but like now i just have mm-hmm. it for the show and i have a personal one for to follow bands and artists I like, so I know when they're coming on tour and I can go buy tickets. That's about it. Facebook, I have turned into my comedic soapbox for friends and family and little short quippy rants here and there about work and stuff like that. But I, yeah, but maybe it's just because, well, I think we both grew up in the era of don't talk to strangers and uh, don't, you know, what is the, what is the other line? Um, don't accept, but anyway, but now it turned into, or don't get into a car with a stranger. Don't talk to strangers. Now it's yeah. go on the internet, talk to strangers to order a car to get into, and the, all the other the hell holes that come along with that. <laughs> but go ahead. Um, well, you know what you just mentioned about your own personal, you know, Instagram and the the bands. Like, yeah, hey, I can now I can see where they're on tour and like I can buy tickets. I I'm actually at the point where I think like I hate that I'm saying this but I kind of think that you know you can't fight the tide like the healthiest probably relationship with your Instagram or your social media is to just be like I'm going to use this for, like primarily for commerce and, you know and like engaging in it so not just selling things but also like buying things I think if you go at it understanding it like that it's much it like ends up being less problematic for you know psyche stuff I, I don't know i'm just i just don't go on mine as much anymore like i'm not sitting there on it all day um thank god i and i have a problem with that and that's an addiction and that's the thing is it's like an addiction so um but yeah that's it's it's evolving it's gonna keep evolving when you started on instagram was it about the same time as lifting were you on there before because like i said that's how i found you you when i was mm-hmm. knee deep into live both strongman powerlifting and the lot did you start it 
to show off your lifting or, you know, a lot of people get on there to chase the follower count and, you know, all of a sudden they have a hundred thousand likes and they're famous air quotes. <laughs> um, you know, it's, well, I got on it. I, I, I honestly don't quite remember why I got on it. I will admit. Uh, if you go back on it, because I haven't deleted this crap yet, I, I, I honestly fantasize about deleting the majority of the stuff on my Instagram a lot recently. But if you go back on it, like my very first posts are like, uh, like a flower. <laughs> and, um, there's, it's not really. And by the way, so this is 2012 video. I don't actually think was available on it yet. And then video did become available. It was, I don't, it was 90 or sorry, 60 seconds at most for a while. I have looked back through my Instagram account and frankly been like kind of nostalgic for how it worked um, for five years ago, six, no, maybe even like six or seven years ago. Um, it Back then, so when I started, I was, I've never been about like attention. I promise you. Even like I'm on Instagram and there's all these people following like where like it's not a ton of people, but it's like a fair amount. Like, I don't like, dude, I hate in person. I don't want to be the center of attention. I hate competing and being in front of people, blah, blah. So it was never like, now people are going to get to see my stuff. Like, I don't think that was it. I, I am an artist. So here's the thing. Like, I, I'm an artist of various types. I don't really know what I am. But for me, that means that like, I always want to like expressing things. Like I, I like to make things and I like put them out there. So mostly this takes place in my stories now. I don't even like, I don't even know what to do with my main feed, but I, you know, I just like, I like to put things out there. It's, it's like an expression thing. And it's the act of that is like very satisfying for me. And so I think I was like, oh, look, I can just make it to another place. I was blogging like years before I was, you know, doing, doing anything with an Instagram account. And so it was just that. And then it continued to be that, it, like, it is that to this day. It's just like, I just like saying stuff, obviously, we've been talking for a while. And um, and if people want to listen, like, okay, I'm not even going to try to monetize it. I was a coach for, I have worked as a, like a um, internet coach before. And um, yeah, but mostly it's just been like, just, you know, like putting stuff out there on my door, not going to be done otherwise. Speaking of, uh, if somebody listening to this wants to follow you and read your stories, because you do post some hilarious stuff on there and some serious topics as well, where can they find you? It's just going to be my first and last name. That's my Instagram handle. So it's Janice Finkelman. And Janice is spelled Janice. It's like Janice Joplin. And the younger people don't know who she is. <laughs> um, I've had to introduce yeah. my employees to this, to Janice. Yeah. Before. Yeah. So it's just, yeah, it's just Janice Finkelman on Instagram. And one last question for me, for a listener out there and uh, maybe women in particular that are listening to this, they want to get into lifting. They want to get a coach. What is some advice you can offer to them? Um, uh, First of all, awesome. Uh, Especially if they feel like they don't, they don't know what they're you know doing and they're like freak out about it and very self-conscious. You know, like it's, I just, anybody who's in that position of not feeling comfortable with like trying to get into an endeavor. I, it is such an opportunity for growth. And every single time you do something like that, it, the next time you're like, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm going to try to do this thing. Like it gets easier. Right. So it's like doing this will freaking change your life. And it's not even about your body potentially, if you want to take that away from it. So just, um, finding a coach, what I personally, so let's say you're on Instagram, like, you know, you're on Instagram and you're like, 
trying to, you're around, you're looking around this world, you are going to come across a lot of coaches who market themselves very well and they're very popular. Okay. So, and those are the easiest ones to find. Um, and so you might even like try to get them to coach you, which is potentially okay. But um, once again, let's go back to the idea that just because somebody is a good self-marketer doesn't actually mean they're a lot good at anything else. Maybe aside from lifting, like, I don't know. So you need to be careful. Um, if you want to get a quality experience, I would, you can message me like for real. I, I'm not going to care. I'm not going to defame anybody, but I know enough people in the sport and I know about enough that I would be like, okay, do stay away from that one because they are predatory towards their clients, which is an absolute thing in the fitness industry. And I'm a victim of it myself. Um, it, back in 2018 or so. Um, so it would be good to cross check with somebody just, you know, that you feel like you can talk to message, like, dude, message people that you don't know, you know, who have a decent following. Um, I try to answer anything that anybody sends me. Um, you know, I don't care. I, I feel like it's cool. Like let's support people. Let's like, you know, so I'm, I, I'm personally open to that. And I feel like, especially if they offer services, anybody should be receptive to a touch point, like, you know, a, a new potential lead like that. So just, I would say, try to message women. Um, if you're a woman looking for a coach, message other women, be like, hey, do you feel like this person has a pretty decent reputation? I'm considering them as a coach. Um, you know, look at their content and it should not just be like, they're a really strong lifter. That means nothing. Um, they're a really strong lifter. It's like, can they communicate well? Do they express that? Like, can they create content well? Because that actually can really indicate sometimes how well somebody is going to work with you. Um, because here's the thing. Okay, this is not, I'm just going to blow up this whole thing. Like, <laughs> if you're a newer lifter, I hate to break it to you, but it's not actually going to be that hard to get you to progress. So, and oh my God, the coaches in this industry basically make their living off of that fact. It is much harder to take somebody like me, Janice, with like 12 training, 12, 13 training years um, under her belt and like make her progress. Although I'm getting into bodybuilding and that's a new chart. It's, it's a bit of an exceptional rule, but like it's really easy to take a meet, like a um, medium, like level or intermediate or beginner lifter, beginner, it's not even a question, and just like get them to progress. So like who you work with in terms of like, your training, you want them to employ good methods and like solid methods. But if they are not good business people, good communicators, good, you know, like if they don't actually care about what they're doing, and that's a lot of them, but there's a lot of people who are using it as a way to escape the quote unquote real work world. Um, you're going to have a crappier experience and you're going to be paying a lot for it because, oh my God, like the amount that people are charging for pushing these days, damn, I am glad I'm not like trying to come up in anymore because that that's wild to me how much people are charging so i don't know hopefully that helps a little bit and if it's not if they're not looking on the internet or social media and that's mm -hmm. just yeah you know, i think just about every gym now has an in-house mm -hmm. personal trainer i mean what are yeah. some two three green flags to look for and what are two three red flags that people should be wary of <laughs> um well i mean it's I'm over here, like, really, you know, I don't, it, Kabuki Strength has uh, a lot of rhetoric around, um, like, I mean, they had a seminar series that was called 
principles of loaded movement. And so that was about like good mechanics with your lifting, um, teaching bracing, teaching good, healthy foot engagement and mechanics, um, teaching you to understand basic principles of how your major joints work, right? Um, I personally, like that ultimately, if you don't have that foundation as a lifter, you will eventually like run into it. It won't be good. You either won't make progress, which everybody wants, but also the likelihood is you're just, you're going to injure the hell out of yourself. So like, it's hard because if you, if you're in a gym and it doesn't have a lot of vetting, like ways of really vetting somebody, how are you supposed to judge that? You know, that's, that's absolutely difficult, but in an ideal world, you're going to find a trainer who's more interested about teaching you how to brace. Like here, I mean, honestly, that's a, that's a really good one. Like if you, if you want to like test out whether or not you should be working with somebody in person, like go to them and be like, Hey, I want you, like, do you work with clients on like learning how to brace, you know, develop like core stability. I don't mean sit-ups and stuff. Like I mean like 360 expansion of, you know, your torso uh, rock stability um, in order to like create stability in the lifts. Like, do you, you know, is that something you work with people on? They're automatic. If they're, if they're worth shit, their automatic answer to that should be yes. If they kind of try to like hedge around that, like absolutely like do not, do not work with them. Find somebody else, I don't care. Um, people, I listen, I go to a gym where there's a bunch of trainers and I watch them and I'm like, like this is, it's so sad to watch it. Even if this is like a gen pop, somebody who doesn't ever want to compete, they still have the same body type, you know, the same working body as um, somebody who competes their joints like work the same way. Like they need to stabilize their lifts. They need to learn how to do it. They need to learn breathing techniques, you know, with their lifting. It doesn't matter if they're going to compete or not. And these people don't even, this is loaded movement. There's only so many ways that you can protect your body from the forces of heavy weight. And either a trainer understands them or shockingly how many do not, right? Like, there are so many personal trainers. I'm like, you should, I don't know. You can like work with people on their conditioning or whatever. I don't care, but you should not be teaching people how to move under load. Like you have no idea. And that's, it's really serious. So personally, I mean, what I would do if I were that person is I would kind of try to vet them based on that. And then also I would go on YouTube and look up some of the stuff I just talked about with like bracing, look up Kabuki's I don't even work there anymore. And I'm like over here advocating this, like, you know, look up, you know, their, their videos on these things, just watch them, expose yourself to the ideas and it's going to really benefit you in the long run. Well, appreciate it. Thank you, Janice, again, for doing this. And thank you everyone for tuning in. Thank you again, everybody for sticking around this last year. If you haven't already, make sure you go follow along on Facebook and Instagram at rules of the arena podcast. And if you haven't, don't forget to go check out my other show called no story left behind. We are work. I am working with Josh and Steve on that. We are going to be bringing you more episodes of that this year. I promise it's going to happen come hell or high water. And just a quick reminder, rules of the arena and no story left behind are produced and distributed by blind ninja studios for more shows head over to blindninjastudios.com. Thank you, and I will see you next time.